0: Please turn in your Bibles to the 11th chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes. We're winding down our many months study through the book of Ecclesiastes. This morning we'll be looking at chapter 11 beginning in verse 7 and reading on through chapter 12 verse 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, Or the golden bowl is broken. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the cistern. And the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. My mother was 41 years old when I was born. And she was actually already a grandmother when she gave birth to me. My oldest sister had already given birth to a daughter by that point. So by the time I was a teenager, my parents were both in their mid-50s. And so I had a front row seat to watch them go through the process of aging. After my mother passed away, as they were dividing up her belongings among the family, I was very pleased to be able to get her most prized possession, which was her study Bible. And people don't do this anymore, but in my mother's generation, it was fairly common to keep mementos in your Bible. And so when I got her Bible, I'm leafing through it, and then there you would find pictures and poems that meant a lot to her, you know, little quotes from things that had really struck her. You'd also find newspaper clippings from important family events. Also, I found a few envelopes that had little, uh, little clippings of hair in them. They were the hair of her baby's first haircuts, her uh, toddler's first haircuts, which I always found kind of creepy. <laughs> but these things were deeply meaningful to her. And as I was going through there, I found a greeting card-type poem that she had typed out that she had found somewhere. And I was struck by how it was very surprising to me because my mother was not given to frivolous humor. She was usually the foil of my father's sense of humor. And it was a funny poem. And let me read it to you. It goes like this. Just a line to say, I'm living that I'm not among the dead, though I'm getting more forgetful and more mixed up in my head. At times I can't remember when standing by the stairs if I must go up for something or if I just came down from there. And when before the fridge real often my poor mind fills with doubt, have I just put the food away or have I come to take it out? Sometimes when it's dark outside with my cap upon my head, I don't know if I'm retiring or just getting out of bed. So if it's my turn to write to you, there's no need in getting sore. I thought I'd written twice and didn't want to bore. Please remember that I love you and wish that you were here. Now it's almost mailing time, so I must say goodbye, my dear. Here I stand beside the mailbox with my face so very red Instead of mailing you my letter, I've opened it instead. (laughs) Well, that's the last humorous thing you're going to hear me say about aging this morning. Because in spite of the way we tend to talk about it, there's really nothing funny about aging. What used to be called forgetfulness like that is now called Alzheimer's, and it's not very funny. We either tend to make jokes about old age, or we tend to block it out of our minds, or we run away from it by means of physical fitness or plastic surgery, or we just warehouse our elderly so we don't have to think about it. But the Bible, as we have seen, takes a very different approach. The Bible will not allow us to block out the reality of aging and death. The Bible, matter of fact, reminds us of it so often that you get the very strong impression that the Lord wants us to be thinking about this approaching aging process and death very seriously. We've seen it over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, haven't we? That's really one of the main purposes of Ecclesiastes, is to bring this into a daily awareness in our lives so that it could change the way we live, the way we see ourselves, the way we see God. But in light of this emphasis in the book of Ecclesiastes that we've seen, aren't those first two verses that we read this morning kind of surprising? It says, Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. What a rare burst of positivity from Professor Q. This philosopher who speaks to us about what reality is under the sun and limits himself in his research of what life is about, what's what the purpose, what's the meaning of life. He limits it to only what he can observe under the sun. But he has, over and over again, reminded us that under the sun... There are good gifts from God, things that he encourages us to enjoy, life's simple pleasures like good food and drink, the feastings of life, hard work and marriage are all things that he's lauded as good things if God allows you to have them. Of course, you can't ever know whether he's going to allow you to have them or not, but if he does, he says, enjoy them. And so we are to enjoy these simple pleasures like the great blues concert I listened to last night, or the beautiful sunrise as I drove to the office this morning with all the deep reds and oranges and yellows, or the crack of a bat in a baseball game on a warm summer afternoon, or a good steak dinner with pie, hot apple pie a la mode afterwards, or the view of Happy Valley from Mount Nittany in the fall, Or breakfast at the waffle shop. These are all God's good gifts. And Q would say to us, insofar as you're able to enjoy them, enjoy them to the max. But verse 8 goes on to say, I didn't finish reading his thought, did I? Verse 8 goes on to say, but let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Ah, now there's the Professor Q that we've come to know and love. Because these pleasures, as great as they are, pass away so quickly, ultimately, if we put our hope in them, your life is meaningless. All is vanity. We are to enjoy God's good gifts under the sun, but we can't be sure that we're going to have them from one moment to the next. And ultimately, they're all going to go away. And when they go away, if that's what you've lived for, you're left with nothing. Everything under the sun is like soap bubbles, here for the second but then gone in a moment. And so as we come to Q's final words, we see that he is speaking as an old man. We've kind of suspected that all along, that you don't develop the kind of wisdom he has under the sun and you don't develop the kind of Cynicism at times that we sense from him, unless you've experienced a lot of life under the sun. This is an elderly man giving advice here to the next generation, to the young men, to the young adults. And he's trying to tell them how to grow old under the sun. And the first thing he says is that you need to embrace the pleasures of youth. We've already seen him saying that, but look at verse 9 Rejoice, O young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. When I think back onto my years as a young adult, I realize now how many things I've taken for granted. A strong body, good health, a clear mind, a good memory, freedom from responsibility, opportunity. The ability to dream and expect that life is going to get better than it is today. Those are things that Q wants young adults to be very, very thankful for. Youth is the fun, exciting stage of life. Q would add it to that list of God, God's good gifts food and drink and, and work and marriage. Enjoy those good gifts. Carpe diem, he's saying again, seize the day if God allows you to have it. Enjoy it for as long as you have it. He goes on to say, walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. Now that doesn't sound like a very biblical thing to say because the Bible teaches us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, but Q has also told us that several times in the book, so we know that he knows that and believes that. He's not talking about pursuing sin. He's not talking about what we used to call sowing your wild oats. That's not what he's talking about. He's just saying you're in a stage of life where you can dream about a better future, where you can enjoy life without the limitations and the pains and the brokenness of later in life. Pursue your dreams. Seek the good life if you can find it. But he gives a very important reminder at the end of verse 9. Here's the check against pursuing wrong desires. He says, but know for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Q is telling young adults to live your lives, enjoying the pleasures of life, but to live your life coram deo, as the old Latin would put it, in the, before the face of God. Understanding that every moment of every day God is in heaven and he sees your life. He not only knows your actions, he knows your thoughts, he knows your deeds, he knows your words. And you live before him and are accountable to him. It's one of the hardest things, I think, for us as naive and immature young adults. It's one of the hardest things for us to to understand and, and, and to apply to our lives is that every moment God is watching us. He is omniscient. He is sovereign. And we are all accountable to him. To put it in the words of Hebrews 4, no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And as the church in our age has grown weaker, we've heard less and less about the omniscience of God. We've heard less and less about the judgment of God. We've heard less and less about his intense hatred of sin in all of its forms. But Q would have, especially have us in our youth, to develop that awareness that we are before the face of God every moment of every day. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, The Lord knows who, those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so that's what Q would say to us as well. But then in chapter 12, he goes on to explain the urgency in this instruction. Why this is so important that the young adult The adolescent and the young adult understand and apply this post-haste. Because he says, look at the coming storm of old age. He says in verse 1 of chapter 12, to rejoice in youth before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Back in chapter 11, we read a moment ago, in verse 7, he compares youth to seeing the sun. And it's so sweet and good to see the sun. But then he says the storm is coming, dark days are coming, and he speaks of it in, the, in terms of the lights of the universe going dark, the sun, moon, and stars, the lights going out. And then at the end of verse 2, he says something kind of odd. You notice that? He says, and the clouds return after the rain. That's not what we expect, is it? We expect to see the clouds, the threatening clouds on the horizon. We expect the clouds to cover, come and cover us and then to dump a big storm on us. That's what we expect. But then we expect the clouds to go away after the storm and to have sunny days again. That's what youth is like. That's the way you look at life. Yeah, the storms are going to come, but they're going to pass, and it's going to be a good, bright, sunny day again. But Q says, no, aging is like having the clouds come and the storm hit and then more clouds come. I still remember the stage of my life when this really hit home for me. When I was in my early 40s, I still very much thought of myself and felt like a young man. I had been blessed with extraordinary health, but one day I got a phone call that my brother, who is only four years older than I am, who is only four years older than I am, had had a serious heart attack and almost died and had to have multiple bypass heart surgery shook me up, but he, when I talked to him after the fact, he said, go to the doctor and get checked out. So I went to the doctor, never felt more healthy in my life, never felt young and more young and strong in my life, and he said, you have high blood pressure and high cholesterol, and it's dangerous. We need to get to work on you right away. And I remember that was hard for me to deal with because that was the first time in my life I had to cope with the idea this is permanent. It's nothing compared to what Sarah shared, but what a devastating idea that my body was breaking down and it wasn't going to get better under the sun. And believe me, every year since then has been a renewed lesson in that, that the body doesn't heal like it did, and when it gets broken, it tends to stay broken. That's something young adults don't think about. But that's what Q is saying you need to realize. Those storms are coming. There's an urgency to how you live your life because those storms are coming. In verses 3 to 5, this is actually one of the hardest parts of Ecclesiastes to interpret, but it's also one of the most beautiful poetic parts of Ecclesiastes. What you have in verses 3 to 5 are a, a sequence a very long sequence of phrases that are just visual images, and vast majority of commentators believe that these are metaphors they 're not meant to be taken literally matter of fact it 's hard to make sense out of them if you take them all literally it, the, the images are all kind of snapshots of what appears to be a wealthy household that has hit hard times and it 's in great decline but most commentators and and they've convinced me that this is probably right that this is meant to be a metaphor for the aging body and so just let me you know kind of run through these and just think about it kind of like a Bob Dylan song if you ever listen to Bob Dylan lyrics he does it all the time he just throws phrases that are metaphors at you you know one upon a top another and you don't really know what any one of them really means but as you listen to about 10 or 12 of them you start to get a sense of the idea he's getting across and it's the same way here with what Q says in verses three to five. He talks about the keepers of this great house, the keepers of the house, which would be the servants, and the metaphor, and a lot of these metaphors that the scholars who are a lot smarter than me, they go back to ancient Hebrew culture and try to figure out what these metaphors might be tied to in the way that they used them in those days, and they think, and it talks about the keepers of the house, these servants trembling, and so they think this is a picture of the the arms and the hands of an aging person trembling, getting weak and trembling. It talks about the strong men, which literally would be the homeowner, the nobleman who owned this great house, the strong men that are bent, and they think that this is a metaphor for legs that don't work right anymore, or maybe a, a stooped back. And then it talks about the grinders. The grinders in a household would be the cooks, the, 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 usually the, the, the women servants, who would, who would grind up wheat for flour for cooking. And it says, the grinders are few. Well, if you're thinking out of a a declining body, that one's kind of easy. It's teeth that tend to disappear with age. Not so much in our day and age, but that's really rare among the history of mankind. My parents' generation, losing your teeth as you aged was an expectation. It talks about the doors on the street that are shut. And that's an easy one, too. If this is an image of the human body, it's being a shut-in. Not being able to go out and be a normal part of everyday life in your culture like you used to be able to. It talks about the sound of grinding being low. And again, it probably is speaking of a loss of hearing that comes with aging. On the other hand, it talks about rising up at the sound of a bird. And that's not that all of a sudden you get good hearing. What it is is that you're just sleepless. Not able to sleep at night then it talks in verse 5 about fears fears of heights and fears of what's in the way of traveling a very common fear of those who become older talks about the almond tree blossom that almost sounds like a positive one but almond tree blossoms are white and so they think it's a metaphor for the graying of hair and then it talks about the grasshopper dragging itself along grasshoppers don't drag themselves along they hop freely when they're young and able it's a sad picture of immobility again and then the last phrase there it says desire fails and actually if you read it in the original hebrew and you were an old testament hebrew person you'd realize that that was a hebrew euphemism for losing the ability to have sensual pleasure and so yes when you put all these images together it seems to me to be a picture of the loss of aging. Loss. That's one thing I'm finding out more and more, and some of you that have have been walking this path and under the sun a lot longer than I have know more of what I speak. But I'm finding out more and more that growing old is really a daily grieving over what you're losing. And it's real grief. It hurts. It's painful. We joke about it because we don't like to dwell upon it. It's a real daily grieving. It reminds me of a story, and it's not a very well-known story, from the book of Second Samuel. Back when David, King David, was fleeing from, he was driven from the throne by his son Absalom. Talk about pain. And he's fleeing from Absalom. There were people who came along, by God's provision, to, to take care of David and his followers while they were running away. And one of those wealthy persons who helped David and his followers and provided for their needs was an older man, a wealthy man named Barzillai. And Barzillai kind of disappears from the story and then after David is restored to the throne, he does the noble thing and he goes back to help those people who had helped him when he was in need. And so he finds Barzillai as an old man and he He says to Barzillai, come to Jerusalem, live in my palace. I want to take care of you the way you took care of us in a time of need. And I just want to read to you and just hear the pain and the grief of an elderly person in Barzillai's response to David's offer. He says to the king, how many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats and what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my Lord the King? And I think that might be one of the deepest fears of those who really age. The fear of being a burden to people, that, especially people you've cared for in the past. It's a grief. It's a real grief. We need to own it as a real grief of loss but q makes sure that we don't forget where it's headed because he goes on in verse five to say that we need to accept the inevitability of death in verse five he says because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets it's a picture of a funeral all of these losses will end in death the ultimate loss in verse six, he gives two symbolic pictures of death. and most commentators think that there's actually two pictures here. There's four things mentioned, but two of them go to, two, the first two go together and the last two go together. The silver cord that snaps and the golden bowl that is broken, they believe that this is an expensive lamp in this wealthy household. And when the cord the silver cord breaks, the, the, the bowl falls and it's broken and the light goes out. And it's, another, again, another metaphor for the light of life leaving. It's a picture of death. And then it talks about the wheel on a cistern or a well that breaks and the pitcher that carries the water being shattered. And again, a picture of death because there's no way in that state for the water of life to be brought out of the well. Unless there be any doubt that about what Q is trying to say, in verse 7, he makes a clear reference to Genesis 3 he talks about us returning to dust because god had said to adam after the original sin you are dust and to dust you shall return and so q says the body is going to return to dust it's going to continue to break down and one day it's going to completely break down and turn to dust and your soul is going to return to the god who created it now that might sound like a hope but we know that q doesn't ever offer hope under the sun We know that he doesn't know what happens to the soul after death. He just, that's where the story ends for him. We know that, if you could just flip quickly back to chapter 3. Remember what he says there in verse 21. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward or the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. You see, he only has what he can observe under the sun. And based on what we know under the sun, death is the end for everyone. And we have no idea what goes on beyond that. So Q himself is not offering any hope. This is where we get to the dark and dismal end of Q's teaching. And we get that clear statement that we've heard over and over again in verse 8. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Because of aging and death, ultimately, no matter how many wonderful pleasures there are under the sun, everything is meaningless if this is all there is. But Q does, as he often does, imply a hope. And that's found in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Not just enjoy the pleasures of life, but make sure, young people, that you remember your creator in the days of your youth. Bono the lead singer for the group U2 is a professing believer and in one of his interviews he said this about Ecclesiastes he said Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. It's a book about a character who wants to find out why he's alive why he was created. He tries knowledge, he tries wealth, he tries experience, he tries everything. You hurry to the end of the book to find out why and it says remember your Creator. In a way It's such a letdown. But yet it's not. And what he's saying there is, at first, it doesn't seem to be that helpful in light of all this dark message that he's left on our laps. But I think what he's saying there, that it's not really a letdown, is that the hint of the ultimate truth, the truth that can deliver you from that despair, is in that statement. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember, he's already said, this this creator, the one who called you into existence, is the God to whom you're accountable. He is a judge who observes all your thoughts, words, and deeds. And he says, don't forget this. Remember your creator. And the word remember, when you see the word remember, most times in scripture, it's not talking about mentally refreshing something to your memory. That's not what it's talking about. When God remembers us, he's not just remembering in the sense that we usually use the word. It talks about a commitment to. It's to seek after. It's to embrace. That's what it means to remember. And so that's what Q is saying to young adults and adolescents. He's saying, seek after your creator. There's where you're going to find the answers. He has none to offer because he's only operating under the sun. But remember your creator because your creator has answers for you. He is the one who can give you meaning and purpose because he's beyond the sun. He knows what's after death. And he's saying to to adolescents and young adults, he's saying, deal with this in your youth. Don't say to yourself, hey, this is my time. I've been under my parents' rule for all these years I'm on my own now I'm going to do what I want to do I'm going to be independent I'm going to tra- taste all this fruit. I've got all these opportunities all these pleasures to enjoy I'm going to go after it and forget your creator the one who sees and knows all our culture keeps telling our teenagers and our young adults that, that, that that's a period of life for hedonism but it's a lie straight from the pits of hell I hear a lot of people in college years and shortly after saying, well, you just, you know, I'm just, I've got so much I want to go after. I have so many things I want to do. I'll get serious about seeking the Lord later. I want to warn you that if that's what you're saying to yourself, I'll get to that later. I know it's important. I'll get to that later. I want to warn you that most of the people I've heard say that never do. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they get married and usually when they have their first child and they're used to having, you know, being around baptism, they want to baptize their child. Then they realize, "Uh uh-oh, do I want to raise my child outside of the church? And then that's when sometimes it kicks in, but most of the time it doesn't. Remember your creator in the time of you. Seek after him. Embrace him because he's got the answers for you because As we always say, when we come to these passages in Ecclesiastes, Q wants us to look outside his teaching for the answer. And the creator has it. And the answer is the gospel. The gospel is what makes the difference. What Q describes about life is reality for everyone who does not understand the gospel and receive the gospel and live by the gospel. Because the answer that the creator has given is redemption. Our creator and our judge to whom we are accountable is also our redeemer and that's what the rest of scripture is about. Redemption. The creator, the one who spoke us into existence, added to his divine nature a human nature and he dwelt among us and lived a perfect human life and then he went to the cross and died in our place and bore the wrath of God that our sins deserved and paid the price completely. And then having died for us, he was raised from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all, and he ascended to the right hand of the, of the Father in heaven and he now reigns as King and Lord of all. You see, that's what the rest of the scripture tells us. That's what the creator's redemption looks like. And there's only one way. So remember your creator and your judge and your redeemer in your youth. Set that foundation in the gospel at the beginning of your life so that all the important decisions you are going to make are going to be based on that. And the life you live every day is going to be in the light of that. You will never regret it. But then a message to the aging redeemed. The message of the rest of Scripture, because of the redemption that's in Jesus Christ, the message of the rest of the Scripture is, as we saw earlier in 2 Corinthians 4, our soul is getting better day by day by the grace of God. Our soul is getting more mature day by day by the grace of God. Our soul is becoming more like Christ day by day by the grace of God, even while our bodies fall apart and fade away. Let me read to you that portion again. We read parts of it. Let me give you a little context to it from first, Second Corinthians chapter 4. First of all, verse 14. Notice how Paul, after having talked about us being treasures and jars of clay and being persecuted and beat down and suffering in all these different ways, he goes to the resurrection because that's the important point. The resurrection in verse 14. He says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also, With Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. And then, beginning in verse 16, that passage we read earlier so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, the things under the sun, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. That's something to live for. Q always speaks truth. It's just incomplete truth. And the truth that he hammers us with every week is that if you live for whatever's under the sun, your life is meaningless. But that's the reality we are called to live to. And you only know it and experience it through Jesus Christ, our risen Lord and Savior. And so to the aging redeemed I say your life has purpose and meaning no matter how much suffering you have to go through your life has purpose and meaning every moment of every day because he is redeeming you and you need to finish well. And so I want to conclude with these great finishing words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Timothy 4 where he says I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Father, we are treasures in jars of clay, and the only reason we're treasures is because of the redeeming work of Christ Thank you for your grace towards us. Help us to live with an awareness of the approaching storm of of old age and the end of death. But Lord, may we never lose hope. May we never despair. For if we have trusted in Christ, he has never broken a promise and he will fulfill this promise to redeem us completely, to deliver us from the power of sin and death and to bring us into his joyous, blessed presence for all eternity. Help us to live our lives accordingly, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.